Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. I'm honored to have as our conversation partner today, Matt Margarone, who is the chaplain of athletics at Hope College. Uh, Matt, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I'm excited. So, Matt, uh, for for the uninitiated, what what does a chaplain of athletics do exactly? Like, what what is what is your role, and what does it consist of these days? Yeah, I consider myself really a pastor to the athletics community at Hope College. So, over 600 plus athletes, uh, 70-ish coaches with head coaches and assistant coaches, and uh, all the pastoral roles that come with that. Whether that's spiritual direction, crisis intervention preaching, running Bible studies or small groups. So I do all of that at Hope College, and it's a pretty uh, great gift that Hope College puts so much into our campus ministries program that we would have seven different chaplains for each different area on campus. And so I just work with the athletics specifically. So, And you were an athlete at Hope I, I, in, in your day? Yes. In my day, 20-some years ago, I played soccer at Hope College. And then I've served in different roles at Hope as an assistant coach uh, in the soccer program and uh, now serve as the, the chaplain of athletics, which is pretty cool. So Matt, what's the same and what's different about being a 19-year-old athlete on the Hope campus yeah. uh, from then to now? What what are what are universals and what are some distinctives that are that are unique to being a student in 2023? Well, I just I mean the resources at Hope, <laughs> the buildings are different. I mean everything is so much nicer than when I was there. Um, but no, I, I mean college kids. Uh, I mean we live in a different generation. Obviously, technology is way more than it used to be, uh, both for the good and the bad, right? Um, but students are the same. They're dealing with the same kind of core questions, which is, uh, I want to be known, I want to be loved, and I want to belong. And so I think those things are consistent from when I was there to now. Uh, But for athletes, I think athletes are in a different world where technology has brought out recruiting and things are so much, they come in like more adult, more uh, not adult emotionally <laughs> or spiritually or in, in that type of mature, but adult in the f- fact that they've had to play in club sports or high school sports and they had to grow up so quickly to get to the point where they, they are. Um, and I think if you're talking about their spirituality or their faith, you've got to understand that a lot of them understand God a- in this kind of performance way, mm-hmm. which is like my identity is how I'm performing all the time, whether it's in the classroom or on the field. And so it's hard to differentiate that when you talk about your faith. So, so Matt, how do you help students turn that corner from having their faith be performance oriented to having <laughs> their faith be relationship oriented or whatever the, whatever right. the antidote is? The antidote is, yeah. Uh, that's kind of what I consider my job to be. Um, you know, sometimes it could come through an injury and that identity is taken away. It can come through a transformational experience on a team. It could come uh, uh, from getting outside of the classroom or going to a different country. There's all different ways to see that. It could be through um, community of people which love them for a different uh, for something different than just how they perform. So there's all different uh, ways that that could come about. And I think that's one of the great parts of the journey of becoming who you're supposed to be in that coll- in those college years, right, is uh, f- we're all on a journey in those college years of when you're kind of developing that independence, if you will, uh, you start to form like, do I still view the world the same way as I did when I was a kid? And I, I think that those years are... Um, 
beautiful for developing a different uh, worldview. And we do that practically through uh, conversations, mentoring, Bible studies, uh, going on trips, uh, chapels. Um, we just want people to understand who Jesus is in the gospel. So, yeah. Matt, you talked about worldview. It seems like yeah. sometimes the temptation, especially for evangelical parents or parents of faith, is they want to send their kids to a school that will affirm and cement the <laughs> worldview that the parents have already signed off on. Oh, that's true. Uh, I, and again, like there's, there's nothing wrong about that. No. Obviously, there are core convictions that I, I hope each one of my kids come out of their college experience with intact. At the same time, they're going to be exposed to different viewpoints, even other different viewpoints of faith and yeah. different people who are going to yeah. expand and hopefully deepen their worldview. As parents, how do, how do we hold that? How do we hold that loosely? How do we walk that tightrope between wanting our kids to have certain right answers in quotation marks and also wanting them to explore, deepen, and widen their understanding of God themselves and the world in which they live? What what a great question. I have uh, two teenage daughters, so I don't speak in any expert way about this. But I was talking to a mom who had just dropped off, um, uh, that I'm friends with, who dropped off her first child at college. And she was asking that that same question. And we were having this conversation about, like, all you can do is what you've done up until the point where you let them go a little bit. And our, and our, our goal as parents, um, as adults in, in young people's lives is to give them the tools and the resources to be able to, when they get to that place, to make that decision themselves. And so you, you, the Bible talks about raising them up in the way that they should go. And so you've got to believe that, but then you've got to let them go. And you've got to give them the opportunity uh, based on the foundation that you've built to then trust the process and trust God enough that he's got them in the midst of that journey. Now, that's a hard thing to do. But at the same time, if you don't let go, what I've learned uh, just in my experience is that sometimes they pull away even further. Mm. And so I think that letting go and walking alongside and continuing that conversation lessens the uh, adult authority person and kind of shifting into that as hard as it is, somewhat of a peer relationship, even though they'll still come back for money and the house and all the different things. Right. But the peer friendship to say, I know you're an adult now. We're both adults. And so how are you making those decisions yourself? Matt, that's so good because I remember when I was working at a church not too far away from here, there was a a dad that was just constantly resentful. Like he was always, mm. always ragging on a, on a, on a larger state institution as the reason that his daughter lost mm. her faith or the reason she de- deconstructed. And again, I, I'm not saying that I don't identify with a part of that heartache because I've had some of my older teenage kids walk some of their doubt journeys on their own. Sure. But in some ways it felt a little bit overly simplistic. Like he just, he needed a boogeyman to blame mm. for his daughter's life choices. And the truth is um, kids could go to a school like Hope and have their come out, they have their faith come out refined or kids could go to Michigan State and come out and have their faith refined or kids could go to Taylor and have their faith take a step back or nine. Sure. So it's not that, that there's any one magic school that we put our trust in to, yeah. to replicate the kind of child that we're looking for. Gosh, if parenting and this journey of people encountering Jesus and growing in their faith was an A plus B equals C thing, uh, then we wouldn't have podcasts and books and shows. I mean, like the reality is we do the best we can, and then we send them along the way. And we have to trust God a bit in the process. I, I, I worked as a counselor for many years with families and young adults, and what I constantly said at the end of it is like, I trust this journey. I trust your son or daughter's journey. And you should too. 
because God has been on in your journey. And if you look back on your own journey, it wasn't always a straight line. And that's my story. <laughs> but by the grace of God, go I every single day. Uh, why do we try to control our kids' journey when our own journey had its own rocky struggles as well? And so, uh, yeah, I, I mean, we could try to control their environment and have them live in a bubble and have them go to this same kind of situation and to each their own. Like if that's what like your family decides and what your kid, that's best for them, wonderful. But if your kid needs to ask those questions, needs to deepen their faith by exploring it in a different way, give them that opportunity. So good. Man, I remember I had a mentor once tell me, he goes, you only have two jobs as a parent. One is to bless your child, and the second one is to, re- is to release them. Mm. And uh, again, it's, it's easier said than done, but what are some examples that you have seen in your seat of parents who have blessed and released some of their college students or college athletes well? Mm. Oh, wow. Some specific examples. Let me see. Or even just generic themes. Yeah. yeah. Working in a place like hope there's so much excellence in both the students that I work with, but also the parents, uh, yeah. the parents that are coming to every single sporting events and the parents that are allowing, uh, you know, sometimes they say it takes a village to raise a kid. And, and, the, and the best example is uh, trusting the people in their lives and not hanging on too tightly, uh, but also just supporting um, and saying, okay, I'm, I'm supporting, I'm going to become a part of this community, but I'm not going to try to micromanage uh, <laughs> this situation to get what I want out of it. Sometimes parents try to, like, I can say a lot more about the, maybe the ways that it hasn't gone well. Sure. When people are trying to puppeteer in the background or yeah. manipulate the strings or call and make sure that this happens so that this happens. And I think that that sometimes doesn't allow the, the child to, to grow and to be themselves and to figure it out for themselves, to learn to both succeed and fail. And so the parents I've seen do it best are the parents that make that shift, like I'm talking about, to the friend, the mentor, that, that pray with their kids, that walk alongside them, but then ask them how they're making their decisions and why, but don't try to make their decisions for them. So good. Matt, you talked about a couple of those kind of core identity questions. Where do you see students maybe having some kind of uphill battles and getting those questions answered that are that are unique to this moment? Like you talked about technology being mm-hmm. a threat. A lot of these kids, if COVID was a curveball for their high school careers, uh, talk, talk about just what some of the generic challenges that you yeah. see kids facing that yeah. parents should be aware of. Yeah, I could talk a long time about this. I won't. Uh, um, but some of the things I'm seeing a lot more of is uh, the emotional ability to respond to stress is lower than it has been in a long time. Okay. So uh, resilience to push through things is harder because I, I don't know if that's a COVID situation. I don't know if it's a, a quick reaction to when stress happens, then we immediately go to our phones or computers or t- TV. But I've noticed that stress um, takes a little bit longer to work through. So that's that's one thing I'm seeing a lot of. I would say biblical literacy is something that we see uh, has kind of gone down. So an understanding of the Bible and what's in the Bible and having conversations around it. And so uh, we talk about this being a post-church kind of era, and we are a post-Christian kind of era. And so we talk about our society. Uh, you can't assume anymore that families or young people have grown up 
in any sort of church environment. And so how do you have those conversations and how do you uh, engage uh, from a level of curiosity and a level of um, both like one young person in your dorm or in this group could know a lot about the Bible and grow up in church and another person couldn't have never stepped foot in a church before at all. And so all are welcome. And how do you have those conversations? Um, so those are two things I'm seeing. I'm seeing a lot of is the, is resilience and uh, biblical literacy. So, yeah. And what, what kind of tools are you equipping students for? What kind yeah. of tools can parents who have college-age students or will have college-age students yeah. put in their kids' toolbox to help them with both of those issues? Yeah, I think the more time that we can get students to be off to, like, I'm not saying te- technology is one of the greatest things. I mean, look at where we are. Look at how we have access people all over the world can read the Bible that wouldn't have had a chance to read the Bible. So technology is great. At the same time, the inability to have conversations just sitting across the table from each other because the phones are always in the way, I think that we can can work on that a lot. Uh, I think um, helping young people learn to look people in the eye, learn to shake people's hands, and learn to not be uncomfortable in a conversation for five minutes with someone uh, is one thing I think is a huge, just real practical thing. Uh, It teaches them that it's okay to fail in a conversation. It's okay to work through an awkward silence. It's okay engage in that way. That's number one. Number two is try to encourage your young people to ask questions. So like some people believe that doubt or questioning leads to a lack of faith. What I've found is that uh, asking questions draws young people to the Bible even more because they're Mm -hmm. looking for a place to find those answers. And so if they're exploring or asking big questions, which they are and should be, then they'll go to the Bible. A lot of people, I was on a trip this summer and the amount of young people that got their information from TikTok, I know this sounds crazy. They were finding all sorts of answers from TikTok. The other day, my daughter says, I want to go to Texas Roadhouse. I want to eat. They have these amazing rolls. So I was like, how did you hear about these rolls? It wasn't from a friend sharing about the rolls. It was that somebody posted on TikTok about these rolls. And I think where are we finding answers to questions? Yeah, It should be from a community of mentors or believers or family and not just technology. So, Yeah, Matt, I think one of the lessons I've learned the hard way as a dad of adolescence is learning how to not like restrict access to media right. or to monitor media, Sure, but it's to like begrudgingly and sometimes super reluctantly like joining them in the oh, media. totally. So like I remember my daughter was watching some reality TV show that I've never particularly been a fan of, but somebody made a, com- uh, a comment in the show that they were a pastor and they were quoting a scripture about human sexuality. Okay. So my daughter called me in from the other room and she's like, hey dad, is this, is this true or not true? And so part of me is like, well, I don't know. Let's sit down and watch it together. And that was not on my list. <laughs> things to get done that day it was not sure. a show that i sure but it was super helpful because she she had a, a stimulus right from something that she was watching that sparked like a real heart question that she had and she wisely is trying to say can i can i trust this data right and what and what do i believe right. about this issue whether it's tr- trustworthy or not so i think that sometimes i like i grew up in an environment where all of the external media was strictly regulated <laughs> and then and you get to college, yeah. you're like a kid in a candy store, right? right. And again, there we didn't have smartphones back in the day either. But I, I think sometimes parents are like, well, if we just kind of like stick our heads in the sand and tell kids not to watch certain things, uh, we'll cross our fingers and hope that they won't when they get to college. 
And one of the lessons we had to learn the hard way is like, all right, maybe these are some shows on a particular streaming network that we wouldn't choose for you. But if all of your friends really are watching them and you're going to watch them when you turn 18 anyway, let's sit down and watch them together. And it has been hilarious because, you know, one of my daughters <laughs> and she's like, everybody in school's watching this show. We're like, that show is grossly inappropriate for 19 different reasons. She's like, well, when I'm 18, I'll get to watch it on my own. We're like, all right, yeah. great. You can yeah. sit down with your mom and watch yeah. it. And some of the some of the mystique about that particular show disappears when you have to sit down and watch it with your mom. It's harder to watch things in front of your parents, for sure. <laughs> but but again, that's not the goal wasn't to shame sure. her. It was to help process and ask questions. For sure. To be able to say, like, okay, yeah. these adult themes are being wrestled with. Do you feel like they're being handled in a way that is tactful right. and helpful and redemptive? Or is it just gratuitous nonsense? Well, and if you go back to kind of the beginning of what I was sharing, is it, uh, it's being willing to be in relationship with your kids. Yeah. So that when you're able to have, when they get to that place where they're watching that or uh, exploring that thing that you can have a conversation with them about it. And sometimes when, if you come from this place of restricting so much, they're going to watch it anyway. Right. (laughs) And you just won't be in the conversation. Because they'll never tell you. Yes. And so the way uh, that I've found is like, hey, be in a relationship enough that when those big questions come up, that you can have a voice in them. And if you raise them in a way that they can uh, critically think about questions, critically think about the world, that when they're going to come to you when those things arise. Uh, maybe not always, but you know that when that crisis comes up, when that situation comes up, they're going to they're gonna come to you for those things. Man, that's so good. So you talk about just some basic social sure. skills, looking people in the eye, carrying out a conversation, <laughs> being willing to fail in a conversation, yeah. uh, being willing to have a some kind of generic grid to discern what mm. inputs can be trusted. And if we're not sure, sure having relationships with mature kind of godly people, if I could call yes. it that, to help process that through. But when you talk about biblical literacy, what? how do we equip students for that? Because some of some of the people who are listening are like, Matt, I, I get intimidated by the Bible. Like, I wouldn't sure. know where to start. And so I think that some of us with the best intentions are like, well, I'm just going to outsource anything scripture related to the experts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll have my kid come to church and I'll mandate attendance at youth group or I'll, tr- I'll trade them that for access to the car. Uh, but I... I don't really know what it's like to engage the scriptures with my ad- adult-ish child. Yeah. Uh, a lot of, in the summer times, I like to go on backpacking trips. I, I worked for a, a youth organization, and we would do these backpacking trips. And we would always hire guides to take us through the woods. And um, we went to British Columbia a couple of times, and we summited this mountain. And I am so glad a guide was there because they do that every week. And they walk through uh, those same woods and they take us through the snow and the rough and rocky terrain. And I I think about that analogy because I think it's hard to take our kids anywhere that we don't go ourselves. Mm. And so if we don't have the courage to explore, to ask deeper questions, it's hard to walk alongside our kids as they do as well. And I know it can be intimidating. I know it can be hard. Um, But there's tons of resources out there uh, where you can go to. Um, I mean... There are uh, online tools that you like the joy of technology. There's Bible apps. There's uh, like if you go to a Bible app, you can look and see like daily devotionals or little things like that that you could go to that that can help you. Uh, There's churches locally and pastors and there's people that if that's too intimidating as well, because the church has been a place that has caused hurt for you or there's other things going on. um, Ask a friend. 
would you read this with me or whatever? And I think that helps you enter those conversations with those kids, uh, with your kids, is if you're willing to go to those hard places as well. The Bible can be a place that can be intimidating. It's big, you know, and there's a lot in there and it's crazy. And how do I understand that? But there are people and there are resources that you can do. If you can figure out uh, some of these uh, websites to sign your up, sell your kid up for a youth sport, then there's absolutely no reason that you can't find a resource on how to to read the Bible. So, so good, Matt. When you so if you're sitting down with an athlete and maybe they're new to faith, yeah. maybe they struggle with biblical literacy. Yeah. Where where do you start? Like, is there a portion of is there like a book in the Bible that's like low, low risk and 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 easy to start with? Yeah. Um, you know, this semester at Hope, we're going, uh, our subject is the questions of Jesus. And so that's really cool is that Jesus asks a bunch of questions in Scripture. And I think the, the place to always start is Jesus, um, mm. reading the stories of Jesus. So, so John, the book of John, uh, the Gospel of John, which is the fourth book in the New Testament, is a great place to start. Mark is another uh, place we start with athletes. Uh, I've done the Psalms and Proverbs with athletes. It's, it's, we've had them read uh, a Psalm a week, um, and that's been really, really good uh, for them. Uh, and then I've had them write their own Psalm in their own words. That's been kind of a cool place to start. And then, and, you know, there's other, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul has written a bunch of letters, um, and those letters were to communities of people that kind of were new in their faith, uh, whether that's the Corinthians or the Ephesians or the church in Philippi. Like, so those type of things are really, really cool for communities of people or individuals trying to learn and grow in their faith. So those are some places we start and uh, conversations we start with. There's also just incredible, what like last semester in the spring we did just uh, we introduced uh, our athletes to uh, a group of just incredible church writers over the years, whether that was Henry Nowen or Martin Luther King Jr., uh, whether that was more recent people like a Bob Goff or Dietrich Bonhoeffer, or like all these different uh, historical writers that's kind of an, in a college environment like academia, like sometimes they like to learn about those things as well. It's a different way to have those conversations. That's awesome. I, I love that you're doing that. Matt, one, one final question or maybe final group of questions. What, what do you tell parents who you had mentioned some are maybe having trouble releasing and their temptation when their kid gets stuck is to make the call on their behalf. What do you tell parents who see their kid struggling and their temptation is go to panic mode and to fix it for them? How, mm. how, how can we learn to release and trust that God is actually walking with our kids through every crisis that they face and equipping them to take the steps that they need to take to come out on the other side, not necessarily unscathed, but to come out on the other side better and stronger and richer for it. Yeah, I think the greatest way to look at that to start is to like look back at your own journey and mm -hmm. try to think and process. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, like I didn't, you know, I think about the idea of if my parents had Life 360 and knew where I was at every single moment, like holy moly. It'd be game changer. <laughs> game changer. <laughs> or Instagram, right? And they, they knew what I was posting at any moment. And I turned out okay. Like, yeah, I, I went through some things in my life and they were hard, uh, but they shaped my story. And uh, God has the ability to bring beauty from ashes and redeem things. That's kind of like his whole deal right. is redemption. And so if, if God can do it with me, <laughs> 
yeah. the the least of all God's people, then God could do it with anybody. And if you can start there, they can put you in a proper framework to uh, let your child go a little bit. For some, it'll be easier than others. For all of us, it's hard, right, to let our children fail to make mistakes. So I think that's the first part is to think back and, and see it through. If God can walk with me and redeem my life, he can do it with anybody, even my own kid. And then to ask the question, do I trust God? Do I trust God with my child? Uh, that's a big question. I know it's hard. Um, I, I know it's hard and they could go any sort of way, but the journey is long. The journey is long. And so we could see it in a uh, one week period, a three month period, a year long period, but like their journey is a long one. And we all know stories of people in all different parts of their lives uh, coming to experience and encounter Jesus in a different way and finding their way at different times. But what I know more than anything else is people need to find their way on their own. Yeah. And that when we take away that autonomy from them, then it's not them finding their own way. It's finding your way. Yeah. And if we find ourselves dictating terms on said mm-hmm. path, you're right. You said this before. That can come back to backfire yeah. in, in a number of different ways. Sure. I was talking to a parent earlier today talking about how they dropped their kid off at school and how they were a little bit concerned about like, hey, did I did I give them everything that they needed? Like, sure. did I give them every lesson that they needed to learn before they turn 18? <laughs> and, and, and that's like a fair and an honest question. Sure. But the whole... I only have 18 years to download every valuable piece of life information to my child and every question in their life needs to get buttoned up by graduation day so Mm -hmm. that they can start like a well-paying job with a 401k (laughs) two weeks after they finish. Those are all, those are cultural scripts. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily like in in the Bible. Mm. (laughs) And I love the fact that you're saying, Hey, the arc is a long, is a long arc. Mm. Like your, your child's journey with, with you as a parent doesn't stop when they turn 18 and it doesn't stop when they turn 22 Mm -mm. or it doesn't stop when they turn 26 and get off of your health insurance. Like it's, it's an ongoing journey. So giving kids grace and giving ourselves grace to be where we are and not have to be where the neighbors are, where the teammate is or where the kid in the college brochure landed is, is okay. Absolutely. And I think that sometimes there's this weird pressure that, that doesn't, is not authored by God. Mm-hmm. that needs us to kind of white knuckle and control and manipulate and, and twist things so that we get in a particular outcome. But it all goes back to that question. It's like, is it possible that God's version of this child's story is better than one that I ever could have mm. conceived? Mm. And that God's redemption is broader and richer and greater than my sense of prevention or control could mm. be. And I, I, I don't know about you, Matt, but I think that for me, I, I trust God with every part of my life. I wouldn't say except for, but the area that is the hardest to trust God with mm. is my my four kids. Like I'll, I'll trust God with my life and my resources and my survival. But when it when God's like, "Hey, will you trust me with your 19 year old college sophomore? Will you trust me with your 17 year old high school senior? Or your 14 year old college freshman?" Like right before you and I got on the air, like I was having an interesting <laughs> dust up with with uh, three of the four children, right? And so it's like, man, do I trust that God is big enough to to iron that out? And uh, sometimes the answer is I don't. Yeah. And it's it's okay to be there, but it's not always healthy to, to stay there. So I I appreciate you calling us back to uh, 
just a, a really core, honest question. And and maybe for those of us who have kids who are getting ready to go to college or those of us who are heading off to college, maybe maybe part of the daily practice is just to be able to say, like, God, I, tr- I trust you. Mm. Mm. I trust you with their present, and I trust you with their future. Amen. Yeah, and I think the the story, the gospel story, is God creating us and then allowing us yeah. this relational deal. And he, th- this is literally the nature of God yeah. is to let us go. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you look at the story of the prodigal son, right? Yep. You look at Hosea. Like you look at all these, Jonah. You look at all these stories throughout the Bible and you see um, God's interaction with humanity yeah. and how he's allowing us, right, yep. to choose, Yep. to say, God, like, and he, he's loving us all along the time and saying, I trust this because I created you and I love you and you were meant to be in relationship with me. And like, because God has done it before, he suffers with us in that process. Right. Because I know from my own sense, I love one of my favorite hymns is Come Thou Fount. Yeah. And I love that line, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone yeah. to leave the God I love. Like that is kind of at the core of who I am. And to yeah. think that, that our kids might do that, like, well, that's what God's loved us enough to know that, to say like, hey, I'm ready and willing and able and waiting whenever you're ready to come back. And I think we should do the same with our kids. Yeah. And I love the fact that God is not, God is not passive, that God mm. is constantly pursuing totally. our kids. Yeah. And and he is wooing them, and he is drawing them, yes. and he is loving them, and and protecting them for sure in a lot of ways that they might not even know that they need. And right. so, if there's a word of comfort, challenge, or encouragement for anybody who's listening today, it's as hard as it is to imagine. Know that God loves your kid more than you do. Yeah, and God is uh, infinitely more committed to their well-being and their redemption and the arc of their story, trending towards uh, Christ and His kingdom than even we might have the capacity to to dream or imagine. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was th- coming back to this conversation that I had had with uh, this mother who just dropped off her child today. Uh, that was kind of the prayer, is that maybe, maybe if you hang on so tightly, you won't allow that other thing that might happen in their life, that other person to come in hmm. that might speak to them, that the, this other situation... Uh, this other mentor, this other friend, this other situation that could be life altering for them. But because you're trying to hold on so tight, uh, God has something in their story. Do yeah. we trust it enough that it might happen? Yeah. I think it was, uh, well, help me out. Maybe it was Augustine who said, God gives her, he finds open hands. Mm. And I think that there are gifts that God wants to give us and God wants to give our kids. But as long as our fists are closed and our knuckles are white, uh, that's not a gift that we can receive because mm. we're just not in a place where we believe that it's coming. That's good. Matt, where can uh, parents, especially parents of Hope students or Hope athletes, uh, find you or hear more about you and what Campus Ministries is doing these days? Oh, thanks for asking that that question. I am in the Campus Ministry house or down at the athletics fields uh, any day of the week at Hope College. So uh, I work for Campus Ministries, but I'm constantly down at athletics. Uh, I sit on the rocking chairs out front of our building right in the middle of Hope Campus, but you can also find me um, listed on the website. I work with athletes, but I also work with all sorts of students at Hope College. I just love uh, working with students, and I love working with college students specifically because it gives them the opportunity to 
kind of form, it's such a crucial point in their life uh, where they get to form kind of this independence and this new way of thinking and this new kind of building off what came before, like we talked about, but also this new way of living and such a crucial point. So you can find me often sitting in a rocking chair talking with a student. So Awesome. Well, hey, thanks so much for who you are and thanks for the great work that you're doing. And thanks for joining us on the show today. All right. Thanks, Steve. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.